interesting, maybe challenging week. It seems like they, they are a lot. Let me say just a, a brief bit before we get into the lesson this morning. Of course, as was mentioned, and we'll have much more to say uh, on Tuesday, but uh, Jerry Doyle has been a very important part of this congregation from its very inception. He was one of the very first. He and Jaretta were part of the very beginnings of the congregation as it began to meet in office space and, and uh, developed and, and helped in the development of this congregation. Uh, of course, I've been a part of it for the last 20 years and been with him as a part, but that goes back to, we're trying to decide the exact date, early 1970s, maybe 1971 or two, somewhere long about there that the congregation began and this is the Northeast Congregation and more, and then, of course, after the May 99 tornado, moving here and building this facility right here and becoming, uh, going by the, the, uh, the name Southern Ridge, associating in that way. But Jerry has been a, a vital part of the congregation. He was one of the elders when I came here. I didn't know Jerry prior to coming to this congregation outside of having attended some of the seminars that were held each year and, and even maybe speaking once or twice at the most with the congregation uh, prior to that time. But being with them for that and, and Jerry um, didn't know him, didn't know him uh, to speak of at all. Uh, and all, and we will say more about him, but he has been a vital part, generous part of this congregation. Uh, he is taught, and he's encouraged, and he's corrected, and he's done all the things. He's sometimes done some of the dirty jobs that none of the rest of us wanted to do uh, in dealing with people and events and so forth. He was willing to do it, and so he was a very special part of this congregation. been a very special part of my life, and I'll have more to say about that later on on Tuesday, but uh, very special, and I, I can't say enough that we're going to miss him, miss seeing him here, and we want to continue to pray for the family and uh, that time, and of course, we mentioned 11 o'clock on Tuesday. There will be visitation, I believe, tomorrow at the funeral home, but you can check on that for yourself in that regard. First John chapter 2, powerful passage. John centers on a couple of things that are of, of vital importance. One is you know something, and that's what's going to come out today. We get to the final verses of this marvelous chapter, and it goes down to something that I've heard through the years, just show what you know. When you know something, show it. First John 2, those last couple of verses, 28 and 29, as John records there, and now little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If you look within the context, he's telling them there are some things you know and you just need to let it Show or let it shine in your life. And that's what John is getting at. Throughout this book, we know something, let it live in our lives. My mother used to say, and that's where I got the title, my mother used to, to tell us when we would go out and something would be going on at school, she'd say, show them what you know. Show them what you know. 
she wasn't that wasn't original with her I understand but it was very much a part of what she tried to give to us when you're out there don't be afraid to be what you are to show them what you know and do the best you can and I guess most mothers are the same way they all want their children to look good to be recognized to to be at their very best and to be recognized uh, valued uh, for their very 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 best because there's something about being at your best and there's something about being recognized being at your best when we're home at the right time I like to watch the television show please don't laugh at me but the television show the voice now that may not be your thing at all I like watching the voice I'm not much into competition shows and, and I'll tell you why. I don't care anything about all the palaver and the background and the, the, the things that go on and, and the kicking around. I'm sure some of it's funny and all that, but I don't care about people's backstories much. I don't, I don't want to necessarily hear all their history in life, not that it's not valuable and not interesting, but what I like, what I like is to hear somebody get up there and sing and do their very best. And, and when, when we watch the show, when we watch the show, we hear this unknown person who's put in the spotlight, and for those few moments, for those few moments when the music plays, that person is expected to bring out his or her very best. And you listen to them, and sometimes they're not very good. But a lot of times, and most of the time, by the time they get to that point and they're on television, you're amazed. You listen to them. And whether you even like the music or you like the song, you look at this person who's up there and, and has poured out the very best that they've got. And I've been impressed. I've been impressed with how many people come through a show like that who have such great talent, great ability. They may not win the show. They may not get very far in the competitions that are there. I don't care. But what it reminds me is there's tremendous abilities and talents that are out there. And that's what I like about seeing something like this in this show. Because for one shining moment, each one of them gets to stand before this grand audience and television audience and show the very best that they've got for a moment. But you know what? In a way, we do that all the time, don't we? We may not always do our best, but we've always got an audience. And even as we come in here to sing our songs and put forward our best artistic talent, ability, whatever that may be, we are putting it forward before God. Yes, we're singing with and to one another to some degree, but it primarily it is a production, an artistic rendering to bring to God and put our very best into what we do before him. Friends, no matter what the situation may be, there is a need and an opportunity to show our very best. Whether it's throwing a ball or catching the game-winning touchdown pass or throwing that pass, maybe it's sinking the, the go-ahead basket in a basketball game, maybe it's spelling the most unfathomable word in the spelling bee, Maybe it's singing the solo in the, in the choir spring concert. Maybe it's being acknowledged for winning that scholarship, that reading award. Or maybe it's just simply bringing home the grade. 
We always recognize the importance and should of being at our best and acknowledging our very best. And that's what John is getting at in here. Show what you know. John's message emphasizes the value of knowing, of knowing what we know, but not of just knowing it because information, yes, it's power, but at the same time, the value and power of knowledge is seen only, only when it is shown. Knowledge really only has value when it's put out there and shown. And so let me give you a couple of thoughts this morning. Just a couple of thoughts in this. Because what John gives us is, when you, get, you know something, be confident in it. Be confident. You want to need to know where you are. We all want to know where we are. And I think sometimes as Christians we have too often been uncertain about where we are, uncertain about our salvation. And I know maybe sometimes preachers have laid it on so heavy and so much about our sin and, and uncertainty that we, we stand in question, am I saved, am I not saved? But John wants us to know. He wants us to know to whom we belong. He wants us to know to whom we live. He wants us to know where we are going. Far too many people are unsure of their salvation, and it shouldn't be that way. Maybe we're a whole lot like some of the scribes and Pharisees of old during the time of Jesus. Could we be so busy measuring the wrong standards in the way that the scribes and Pharisees did that, that we lose sight of the real values that we've got? As Jesus said, you're tithing out your, your smallest amounts of seasonings. And you're leaving the weightier matters undone. These just just do. They got so busy about that, they missed the great values that they really had in his life. But what he turns to is we've got an example. We've got an example in God, and you and I know that. We've read it, we've had it, we've preached it, we've had it in our Bible classes. We know we've got God as the example. We don't want to go after the other examples sometimes. We don't want to follow Cain. Think how God confronted Cain there in Genesis 4. After he had failed in his worship, he was downtrodden. The Lord said, why are you so downcast? If you do well, won't you be accepted? What a great statement. If you do well, won't you be accepted? Have a positive attitude. Get yourself in gear. Do the right thing. That's what the example of God is. For in more than words, God demonstrated the expression of his love through the beneficial sacrifice of Jesus for us that we've just remembered and honored. And isn't isn't that an expression of confidence toward us? Remember what he tells the Apostle Paul in Acts 18 as he heads into Corinth? He says, I've got much people in this city. The gospel hadn't even preached there, but I've got people already in this city. God had confidence in people. He had confidence in what was coming. He had confidence in you and me. Just as Jesus was confident in what he could do with humanity. Remember those fishermen, Mark 1, 17? Remember those fishermen? He said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. 
He had confidence. He had confidence in himself. He had confidence in them. He had confidence. We need that kind of confidence. We can be what we need to be. We can be a matter that changes the world. We can be the opportunity of hope. And we can grab hold of it in our lives. And with that in mind, we want to matter. We want to matter. And we want to know that what we do matters. And I know sometimes we wonder, don't we? We wonder about our lives. and It just seems like sometimes if you're not having much effect, does it really matter? Does anybody really care anymore? Talking to a friend just the other day on the phone, he said, it seems like every time I try to study the Bible with somebody, they'll agree with me to a point. They just say, okay, good, you go your way, I'll go my way. And that's the way it is. Does it really matter? Yes. The answer is yes. And I know we want that. But that's been the question from earliest of days. There were places Jesus went and he didn't have much effect on people. He didn't do many miracles there. You think about the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Corinth and said, I didn't baptize many of you there. Sometimes we look and we say, I don't know whether I'm having much effect. Maybe life's just that way, and that's what Solomon's quandary was in Ecclesiastes, wasn't it? He wondered if life was just empty, uh, just empty and vain and, and of no effect. Read those first 11 verses of the beginning of Ecclesiastes, and he says, you know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything just seems to be empty. We just live here, we go, we die, the rich, the poor, whatever, and everybody just lives and they dies, and things go on, goes to somebody else, and that's just the way it goes. Sounds kind of empty, doesn't it? What a wasted life. But in the end, he says, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Jesus knew it wasn't what it was about. He came into his own, and his own would not receive him. But there is a message telling us that it does matter. If you go further into the Ecclesiastes, God's work is never, never empty. Solomon comes down to that point as he nears the end of that great writing and he says, he said, you cast your bread on the water and it'll come back to you after many days. He's saying, it doesn't go out there and just go to waste. It's not empty. God's work is never empty. If you want to think about it, think about Jesus' story of the, of the men who were given the talents of money and the five-talent man and the two-talent man in particular. And the master goes away and he comes back and the five-talent man has added five more, and two-talent man has added two more, and he praises each one. And I want you to note, I want you to note that the two-talent man received just as much praise as the one who had received the five-talent. The one who earned two more talents received just as much praise as the man who earned five more talents. It's not empty. It's not wasted. It's not measured by somebody else and what they're doing. And it may be, friends, it may be that the, free, the things that we dismiss in our lives, the little things that we think are the least important, may be the things of greatest importance. As Jesus tells a later story in that same chapter where he tells about the men and the talents in Matthew 25. He tells the story of a judgment scene. And he talks about a cup of water, a visit, a care, 
a kindness bestowed may seemingly be a small thing. And they said, Lord, when did we do these things? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, he says. It may be that some of the littlest things that we think are the least important become the things that are of greatest importance in the mind of God. So he says, be confident in what you do. Be confident in its value. Be confident in who you are. Because he says, secondly, this is what you were born to be. You were born for this. He's telling him, we know. We know what to do, and we are known by what we do. In this very book, John teaches that our actions of love for our brethren tell whether we are what we say we are. He says, we, we claim to love God, but we don't love our brother. We don't really love God. If we claim to love our brother, but we hold up and we don't share anything physically, we're not actively involved in caring about our brethren, we don't really love our brethren. That's in chapter 2 and chapter 3, both. He said, it is in the actions that we show that we know we know we are honest. And Jesus has already taught, and John recorded it for us. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. Next verse, verse 35. You've read it, you know it. By this, by this will all men know. What are they going to know? That we're his disciples. They're going to know who we are. They're going to know what we are. What does he say? By the love you have for one another. They will know us by our righteous behavioral love towards one another. That's what, that is what John is getting across here. That's the message that's in this. Think about it in the world around us. We, we don't just judge people by the words they share. We hear words all the time. We've just gone through an election period where words were thrown at us right and left and right and left. What do we want to know? We want to know what's being done. I'll tell you right now, I don't want to hear another word about a vaccine. I want to see it. I don't want to hear how great somebody is. I want to see it. I want to see it in action. Aren't you with me? Words are cheap. Anybody can say, I love you. But not everybody loves. We understand, I believe this, that we were born to this end. And that's what John is trying to get across to us. You were born to this. You're born in him and abiding in him is a matter of recognizing that. And so in order for that to be, there are things, there are things we need to do to keep on the right track. How are we going to do this? We need to accomplish some things in our lives. It's not just saying it. It's not just being here. This is good. We need to be here or participating as best we can. And boy, I look forward to being able to be together. Don't you look forward to being able to just shake a hand, embrace one another, put your arms around each other. Oh, man. Have the fellowships go into the other room and sit down and have a meal and, and watch, listen to those, those, those dentures clatter in there. Don't you look forward to that? I do. I'm ready. I'm ready. 
But there are things we need to do even now. Things we need to do to keep us on the right track. And he tells us we need to abide in him. We need to make our home in him. Not just visit him from time to time. We don't just bring him out every now and then when we need him. But we live in him. We live here. You know, we may not notice it. And I want to be very careful about this. We may not notice it so much because we live there. But if somebody ventures into your house, there is an aroma. Not a bad smell, please. There is an aroma. I'm not just talking about a smell. But there is something that strikes us. Until I was in my late, I guess I was nearly 40 years old before my grandmother died. And you could go to their house in Sweetwater, Texas. And you could walk through that front door. And as soon as you opened the front door, there was a sense. There was a comfort level. There was a smell. There was a a presence. There was a familiarity that is there. I think it's that way. When we go to Christ... When we look at Christ, when we think about Christ, when we're living our lives, we look around us and there is a familiarity because that's where we belong. We live here. It's not unfamiliar. It's not a strain for us. I'm not saying we're perfectly perfect there all the time. That's not what I mean. But as Paul writes in Colossians, says our, our lives are hidden with God in Christ. We live there. If you've been baptized into him, You make his life pattern your life pattern. You abide in him, John 15. And we are then, as he says, his disciples indeed. Secondly, we've got to keep our focus pointed towards his return. I think there was much more emphasis on that maybe by preachers like me when when I was still a youngster. It seemed like we heard a lot of lessons about the Lord's return. Maybe we've shied away from it. Maybe we've hesitated. Maybe because we fear that we've we've worn that out or something. But we need to remember He is returning. As those, those apostles stood there, in Acts chapter 1, watching him descend, ascend out of sight, not descend, ascend out of sight. Those men in white apparel, apparently angels or whatever they were, those men in white apparel said, why are you standing gazing into heaven? This Jesus that you saw go, well, in like manner return, said, he's coming back. Not to come back to establish this world. We've got plenty of teaching about that. He's not coming back to rebuild a kingdom here, but he is coming back in that sense for us. Point towards his return. When, when my older sister and I were, were little children, and the afternoons grew long for my mother. We were little children, and as it got late in the day, mother would say, you two go out and sit on the front porch, 1244 South Evanston. Nice little concrete porch. I said, y'all go sit on the porch and watch for your father. And so we would go, and we would sit out there, think he was coming any minute. And we'd be there a while, 
And she'd say, you see him? I said, I don't see him. I'd say, you see him? I said, I don't see him. And we, maybe one of us would run back in and ask mother, are you sure he's coming? He's coming. And we'd go sit down. And you know what? Sooner or later, he came. Anticipation. It kept us out of trouble. It kept us focused. It kept us knowing. And when he came, we were excited. And he was worn out, but we were excited. Point toward his return. Keep it before you. And know he's coming. Thirdly, be confident in your righteous behavior. That's what we've already been emphasizing. Be confident in your behavior. Know what you're doing and know why you're doing it. You know what is right to do. Or you can easily learn it. Verse 24, he says, I'm not telling you something new. He says, this is not a new commandment I'm giving to you. Know what you're doing. Be confident of your righteous behavior. Know you're making the right choices and keep those right choices. And then fourthly, be bold. Be bold. Be bold now and be bold before him. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us we can be bold before God because of what he's done. We can go before the throne of mercy boldly in time of need because of what he has done. But I want you to also notice it was bold confidence. It was bold confidence on the part of Peter and John and maybe others. It was bold confidence on their part when standing before that council, they stand up and said, we've got we've to listen to God, not to men. We've got to obey God rather than men. But it was bold confidence when they stood up there and stood before that council who had the power of life and death in their hands. It was boldness that got their attention and said, and they took note of their boldness. I hope the world would notice. I hope our friends, our coworkers, I hope the people around us would notice there is a boldness that is in us that belongs to us because we are his and we have a boldness in him because we know we are his. So we need to abide in him, point our vision ever towards his return and with confidence hold on to righteous behavior in our lives and let it be boldly presented in all that we do. We can because we are born for this. You know, we cannot show, we cannot show what we don't really know. But because we know him, because we know him, we can show what we know. Because he has given to us, we can show. Because we know him, we can boldly show whose we are. We can boldly point in confidence towards his coming again. We can boldly stand and say, I know whose I am, and I know for sure where I'm going. When you bring down John chapter 2 to a conclusion, and I know it's not the end of the book. It wasn't the end of his writing. There's much more he's got to say. But when you come down to that end of the chapter, he says, you know this. Guys, do this and do it boldly. 
We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. Maybe there is even in here someone who needs to respond this morning. If you do, we'll gladly assist you in what your need is today. If you need the prayers of the church, we're ready to pray with you. If you need help getting your life in the right direction, we're ready. If you have another need to put the Savior on a baptism, we're ready to assist you today. Whatever your need is, if you needed to come this morning, let us be reminded of how blessed we are to be his and to have the opportunity we have. And if someone does need to respond, please. Take advantage of the opportunity and come while we stand and sing together.